Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly podcast that explores all the news in Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We have Roost chef owner Kevin Derry coming up in a little bit, but first I'm joined by a new co-host this week, uh, my good friend Tyler Horn. Tyler is the market manager for Urban Harvest, the nonprofit devoted to all things local in the food world. Tyler, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Yeah, before we dive into the news of the week, why don't you just give us like the 60-second version of kind of what you do and what Urban Harvest is all about. Yeah. Um, Urban Harvest was founded in 94, and we work with a network of community gardens throughout the city. And that was really the initial initial goal for Urban Harvest is to help, uh, you know, end food insecurity in the city uh, by giving people education on how to grow their own food. So now we also teach classes and we're in 20 HISD schools where we have gardens on site and have garden educators. And my role with Urban Harvest, I'm the director of farmers markets. I'm in charge of going out and finding our vendors and also putting on to weekly farmers markets. Yeah. And I think that's probably the way most people who are listening to this podcast interact with Urban Harvest is they go to the either the Wednesday farmer's market in front of city hall, or they go to the Saturday farmer's market at East side in Richmond. And I mean, as far as I know, that is kind of the premier destination to buy local produce, Texas beef in the city. And the one thing is I, I know there's always been some, there've been some scandals in other parts of the country where people find out that what they think they're buying is local produce is from, Mexico or places, part of your job, it's worth noting, is actually going to the vendors and visiting the farms to make sure they're complying with your rules. Yeah, I spend a lot of time on the road. Uh, all the vendors, before they start, are inspected, and um, it's actually a big pleasure in my job, but we take the reselling thing incredibly seriously. It's one of the only big, uh, I call them the three commandments of being a vendor at the market. It's be nice, don't resell, and uh, and get along with your neighbors. So it's... Uh, it's important, and we uh, we take that really seriously, and have had to, unfortunately, over the years, you know, take some take some people out of participating because of that. All right, well, good to know. Let's dive into the news of the week. As I as I like to say, Schadenfreude is always a, a strong motivation for the popularity of articles on Culture Map, and that means anytime a restaurant closes, it's big news. We had two major closings last week. The first is Lowbrow. The Montrose Neighborhood Restaurant, um, originally opened by Omar Afra a couple of years ago, it had fallen under the control of the Creek Group, and then it was purchased, or the, the lease was purchased by uh, a restaurateur named Chris Ray, and he had partnered with Chef John Seely, formerly of Mockingbird Bistro. Back this summer, they had uh, it made what seemed like a pretty decent go of it, but it just uh, never quite caught on the way that that Chris wanted to, and so he closed it last week. I, I have to say, I live very close to Lowbrow, and I went there for brunch a couple times after 
Chris and John took over, but it never became a regular destination for me. Tyler, you're a you're a Montrosian. Had you had you been into the revitalized lowbrow? I had, um, and I was you know hopeful with John Sheely being on board uh, for the for the restaurant. But that place holds a pretty special place for me, just because you know I remember back in the Cafe Artiste days, and uh, and even when it was Sophie's, you know, going there and uh, just just some good memories and. Um, Sad, sad to see it go, but think it's kind of a could could really be a great location for a neighborhood gym. Yeah, I I won't say the name of the prominent local restaurant group that I have heard is kicking the tires on the space, but it does seem like a, a freestanding building in Montrose with a little bit of parking and and access to more. I mean, the proximity to the Manil and all the other stuff that's going on in that neighborhood. It just seems like the right operator could really make that place into something special. Yeah. And the Manil's like contract lease more parking to them. So they've got plenty, which is always one of the things that you have to take into consideration for neighborhood restaurants is parking is important. Yeah. I know that John Sheely's crowd came by there because I would, I would drive past it at dinner and I'd see, you know, Mercedes and Lexuses and other <laughs> luxury cars with a valet parker at dinner. It's like, that's not very, that wasn't really my conception of what lowbrow was, but I, I just don't think, uh, it wasn't Mockingbird enough for the for the Mockingbird regulars who missed that restaurant, and it and it wasn't probably Montrose enough for the the neighborhood types who want just like a casual place to hang out. So, I loved when Jason was there, though he was doing amazing stuff on that menu. Yeah, Jason Kerr did some really cool stuff at that menu. I know Matt Marcus got that got that place up and running in the beginning. Um, it's got a lot of potential. Um, and then the other place that closed last week, Pesca. Uh, originally Pesca Seafood Culture, it had uh, the upscale seafood restaurant near the Galleria at uh, Boulevard Place. It started off as kind of an interesting concept with Omar Perini, a, a young, talented chef. But the blend of seafood restaurant and market that had been successful at its original location in Acapulco never quite caught on. The owners brought in Adrian Hembry, the owner of Grazia Italian Kitchen, to kind of tweak the concept. They tried to make it into a steakhouse. That didn't work. They brought in Chris Loftus to make it back into a seafood restaurant, but I think the damage by then had been done. I don't know that there's like some grand lesson here to take from this, but it, it's just such a strange... It's, it's kind of a strange closer to me because it's a, it's a great location. It was a beautiful space. Beautiful. They had a talented chef, and it never quite worked. And I, I don't, you know, you feel like if you have all three of those things, maybe, like it's it's weird when it doesn't. But you know, I heard I heard Shepard Ross on the Cleverly Show last Saturday say, "But who was in the front of the house? Like, what was the service like? Maybe that's the maybe that's the miss, right? That they they needed someone to run the front of the house and." be an ambassador for this restaurant group to Houston, like as a face of it. I certainly agree that the front of the house is a make it or break it thing. And um, it's highly ambitious to hire a 20 year old uh, executive chef. I, I've never heard of that. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure he was a talented guy, but that's probably a pretty ambitious thing to, to bite off. Yeah. And I, I can just see when you're trying to hire cooks and, and recruit people to join a business like, Oh, Hey, you're going to be working for this guy. That's, 10, 15, 20 years younger than you are, I I can see how that might be difficult to swallow for an employee. 
Yeah, absolutely. But no doubt a beautiful space. And both of the meals I had there were fantastic. All right, let's move on. We have better, more positive news. Uh, East Hampton Sandwich Company, which sounds like it's from the East Coast, but is actually from Dallas. They have eight locations across DFW doing upscale sandwiches. Um, my my colleagues at Culture Map Dallas are very high on this place. It's known for its lobster roll. Uh, friends of mine from here who have eaten at the Dallas locations tell me it's kind of like a Dallas local foods in that the the sandwich combinations, it's not like Subway or Chipotle where you, you pick what you want. It's the sandwich combinations are, are predetermined. They roast all the meats. They make all their sauces from scratch. And then they're going to buy the bread from some local bakery. Uh, Tyler, I know, I know you, you have some thoughts on the prospects of East Hampton Sandwich Company. Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly excited for it to be in the neighborhood. Um, fun fact is I'd never had a lobster roll until I went to Maine with Eric this summer. And so kind of set the bar a little high. And uh, I don't know if I've ever uh, thought about the idea of having a lobster roll in, in town. So I'm, I'm excited to give it a shot. Yeah, they're, they're certainly known for their lobster roll. Um, I talked to the company's founder. He cited the, uh, the fried chicken sandwich that comes with cheese and avocado and jalapeno ranch as his personal favorite. That sounds like something I could get really into. Uh, two locations coming, one in Montrose across from Uchi, the property that used to be Ruggles Grill, and then a second in River Oaks District next to Hopdotty. So that's a pretty big, pretty ambitious push very, for very ambitious. a new restaurant. But they have done well in Dallas in upscale locations before. And we've seen a lot of Dallas restaurants coming to town. Uh, Rise, the souffle restaurant, of course, Connie Rosso does pizza. And Velvet Taco has been a big hit on Washington. And they will be joining East Hampton at that on that property at Westheimer. Okay, that's where they're going. Yeah, but fancy sandwiches in Montrose, there's not a lot of that. I, I feel like there's certainly an opening for them. Yeah, it's, it's getting to be a bit of a competitive market for that, though, I think. So you're looking at um, local foods haven't opened, what, their fifth location. So it's an it's a interesting time to be a sandwich shop. And speaking of local foods, their owner, Benji Levitt, announced last week that he is going to take the Washington location of Benji's and rebrand it into a new diner concept called The Classic All Day. Tyler, I know you're kind of, tight with the Benji's folks. Have you talked to them about this? I have, but the word is kind of mum on that. So I think they're waiting to make the big, uh, big reveal in the coming weeks. But um, I, I really, I don't know. I didn't even know that they actually were going to be closing until I read it in your, in your piece. All right. Well, you have until the end of December to get that one last meal at, at Benji's on Washington. The, the description of what they're planning to do with the classic is pretty vague. And I was like, so are there, specific menu items or things we can look forward to and the the basic answer was no uh the idea of lightening up diner classics is always intriguing because you know we go to diners for pancakes and greasy cheeseburgers and fried chicken and there's just not a whole lot you can do to lighten that stuff up well i will say i mean dylan is one of my uh favorite chefs in the city and just think he's immensely talented and uh if he plays a role in that it'll be uh he, he'd be the guy i'd want to to lighten up my menu he he gets it so we will see what that looks like when it opens in the spring and then finally i keep calling 2017 the year of hugo of course chef hugo ortega opened sochi in the marriott marquee downtown he won a james beard award 
finally for Best Chef Southwest. And now he is turning his pop-up with Michael Mina into a restaurant in Los Angeles. Um, Tyler, I'm just going to, I'm going to put it sort of simply is, does the rest of the country deserve Hugo Ortega? Like I, I'm not really ready to share him with other cities. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Um, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big deal. I, I didn't know until today that he'd opened a restaurant in uh, Oaxaca. He acquired a restaurant okay. in Oaxaca. Uh, he and his wife and business partner, Tracy Vaught acquired that a couple of years ago. Yeah. Great. I was, I was looking at that and they were saying it's the fourth uh, Mina test kitchen kitchen concept to go uh, into a actual concept. Yeah. And the, so we, we've talked about this on the show before uh, the, the pop-up that Ortega partnered with Michael Mina on uh, at the test kitchen in San Francisco is, is going to get a, a brick and mortar home in LA and of course, international smoke, which is another former, Mina Test Kitchen project that he did with Aisha Curry is coming to City Center next year. So we're Michael Mina has apparently taken uh, an interest in Houston as both a, a market for his restaurants and as a source of talent for future concepts. I mean, LA is an interesting restaurant world right now. There's a lot of New York concepts coming there. David Chang is working on something, and also uh, Enrique Olvera, who has. Uh, Pujol in Mexico City and two restaurants in New York is opening a restaurant in LA. So it's certainly a fancy shopping center that it's going into. I mean, it's next to like a Burberry and a Prada boutique. So it's a pretty high end, high end spot. Yeah. And it's close to Beverly Hills. I thought that was kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah. It's in fancy upscale Mexican food. I mean, if, if any city is going to embrace a Hugo Ortega concept, I'm certainly, uh, LA seems like a good fit. It's got a real diverse population and they, they love to eat out, but I, I, you know, I, I, it's really just another feather in, in Hugo's cap. He's having a great year. Sure is. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the week. You're listening to what's Eric eating. So for our restaurants of the week, Tyler, I want to talk about a dinner that you and I had recently at, Spicy Girl. It's a new Sichuan restaurant in Midtown. I think we've we've seen more Sichuan food in the last couple of years. Certainly Mala has made a huge splash since it opened in 2012. Pepper Twins is on a, a huge uh, growth cycle that from a, a small restaurant in Montrose to four locations. four locations with a fifth coming, I think. So I think this city and, of course, Chengdu Taste from California opened in Chinatown earlier this year. Tyler, you're a Sichuan fan. Big fan. I think that's probably one of our go-tos on a regular basis. We've been to all three of those restaurants plenty of times. What did you think of your meal at Spicy Girl? I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a different take than the other three have. I mean, it's uh, the mala sensation is not quite as pronounced, but I think that that's probably um, – you know, something that they can dial in and maybe by request, uh, maybe ask in the future if you want to have that, you know, as a prominent, you know, part of the meal or not. Yeah, I, I certainly like that location quite a bit. It's in the uh, mid main area. It's right next to the Continental Club. It's right next to. Double Trouble. Double Trouble. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Tacos a Gogo. I mean, tacos, yeah. My favorite block in the city. We, we do a night market there once a month with them and it's uh, it's a bunch of fun. 
uh, the first Thursday of every month. So, but the, the space is beautiful. I mean, it really is a, it's a great space and it's convenient. I obviously live close by and, uh, couldn't be any easier to get it in and out of. Yeah. I mean, you can just park in that garage, that huge new garage that's right there. I mean, we really liked some of the dishes. We really liked the uh, hot and sour soup, which is always kind of a, a reference Szechuan dish. For me, uh, we had a mapu tofu I liked. Some hits and misses. There, there was a, a thrice-cooked pork that was just chewy and kind of a weird texture, but it certainly seems like a nice addition to the neighborhood, someplace I will go back to. Yeah, and it's week, you know, week two when we went, so I think it's it's always takes some time to get uh, to get everything right. But I loved the um, just the vibe of it, and also the um, what was it? What was that dish that I had that was uh, oh the fish? I don't normally order fish, and it was tilapia, and I thought that was just incredible. It was like fried, and uh, yeah, it had a great texture and, yeah. and a good heat level. And then the one other restaurant I want to talk about just briefly is Nancy's Hustle. Uh, I mentioned last week, this is a place I was really looking forward to. It just opened up uh, east of downtown on Polk Street, right near our beloved sponsor, Eighth Wonder Brewery. It's a project from Chef Jason Vaughn, who's worked at some of the best restaurants in Chicago, and Sean Jensen, who we know as a former general manager of public services. He worked at Hay Merchant. Uh, Sean and Jason also helped open Alice Blue. It's just a, it's just a real casual, kind of comfortable neighborhood restaurant. Uh, the bar top and the tables all come from reclaimed wood from the bowling alleys at Palace Lanes that closed in Bel Air earlier this year. The menu's just real simple, kind of classic fare. Uh, friends of mine and I split a lamb tartare. We had a, a bread service made by their pastry chef, Julia Doran. And then I had a seared snapper. My buddy had a roasted chicken, and we had a, a seared steak and all of it was just first rate and the desserts were good and it feels good in there. They have a really great sound setup with a reel to reel tape player that's playing like classic albums. It was uh, mostly talking heads and Devo when we were there had a fun eighties vibe, just a really attractive restaurant and just simple food done. Well, um, obviously living in Montrose, I have access to a lot of great restaurants really close by, but, this feels like a great addition to East Downtown, and I know my Gal Media colleague Fred Fowler lives close by there, and uh, we've already talked about it. I know you're going to see you're going to see Fred at Nancy's on a pretty regular basis. I've heard nothing but good things. I was in a car this weekend with Sam Cole, and he said that he loved it, and he lives in that neighborhood, so he was real excited for it to be uh, to be there. And uh, I think Sean's a obviously a really talented guy and known him ever since he was, you know, in the hay merchant canopy days. And, um, it'll be, it'll be exciting. I can't wait to go. We should maybe go there after this segment. We, we should, we should go there after we finish taping this. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the way I felt about Nobis when it first opened. Um, just a kind of an intimate space, a little bit quirky. Uh, I think the Nobis menu is maybe a little bit more, um, eccentric. Or like a little more like like the stuff that that Jason is making right now at at Nancy's Hustle is like really really classic, with some thoughtful you know some thoughtful twist to kind of make it his own. But you know, I do think that kind of the the vibe that that made Nobis really appealing to me when it opened is also what draws me to Nancy's Hustle. And and I'm not saying I'm moving to Edo just to be closer to it, but I'm not necessarily a, if if my rent suddenly gets increased that. Being close to it would be a major reason to move to Edo. 
that's my only option if we were to leave Montrose is Edo. I love it. I'm excited to try it out, and uh, definitely think the Nobis reference kind of is a interesting comparison. Well, and, and also because both Jason and Martin uh, worked in Chicago, and I think that the kind of casual neighborhood restaurants like Au Cheval, where it's one of the places Jason worked, um, kind of inform the atmosphere at both Nancy's Hustle and Nobis. So I, I like that about it. But definitely a place that, and you know, I won't, I won't go naming names, but I saw a lot of familiar faces from the Houston bar and restaurant world when I was dining there and, and just judging by my Instagram feed of who is eating there. It's, it is, uh, at least for a certain segment of the population, the trendiest restaurant in the city and someplace that if you're, if you're serious about dining in restaurants, you should probably check out sooner rather than later. All right, that does it for our Restaurants of the Week. We will be right back with Kevin Nadari. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by our friends at Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. I mean, you can find Eighth Wonder on tap walls and on store shelves all over the city. But there is something really special about visiting the brewery, whether it's for a soccer game or a baseball game. You know, certainly with the local baseball team in the playoffs, it's, it's going to be an exciting fall here in Houston. And there's really no place better to go before a game than Eighth Wonder Brewery. You can have a couple of pints, maybe AstroTurf, their dry hopped cream ale that's new and in stores, or maybe their Side Hustle, which is a barrel aged version of Haterade, their Goza. And of course, one of the fun things about going to 8th Wonders Brewery is that you have the Eatsy Boys food truck there. They have a new menu full of all sorts of new things to try. And just recently they added David Attic's 36 foot tall statues of the Beatles. John Paul, George, and Ringo rendered in concrete in their Sgt. Pepper gear. And if you're a real Beatles fan, you'll notice that they're not positioned as they would have been on stage. I think that may be done just to infuriate hardcore Beatles fans, or maybe it's an accident. I don't know. But definitely check out 8th Wonder. Have a beer, have a bite from the YouTube boys, and enjoy this uh, fall weather that we all know is right around the corner. Thank you to 8th Wonder, and here is our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Kevin Nadari, the chef owner of Roost in Montrose, a restaurant that's uh, about to be celebrating its sixth birthday. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, doing good. Doing good. Uh <laughs> Why don't we kind of start at the beginning? How did you, you're, you're a native Houstonian, are you not? Yeah, I was born and raised here. A Memorial High School grad. Yep, Memorial Middle, Bunker Hill, been through it. How did you get started cooking professionally? Um, I was kind of a little pain in the butt kid. Um, <clears throat> I was in all the bad kids classes and ADD and whatnot. Uh, so I think our Went to a military school for a summer, um, the MMA in Harlingen. And when I got back um, to Memorial High School, I ended up finding out that you can do like a minimal graduation. <laughs> so I was already like not doing good in a lot of classes. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that minimal graduation. So I took home ec as an elective. And it was like one of the first times that I had a teacher that was, you know, really supportive. And, you know, it was creative. It was fun. I did really well. Um, just the the aspect of like you can you can wing it with cooking that I did really well with that there was no rules so to say 
and uh, just kind of stuck with it. And then out of college, I applied to the CIA. I mean, sorry, out of high school, applied to the CIA. That was the only school that I applied to. I did uh, one year at the Hilton Post Oak, uh, which was the Doubletree back then. And that was my first like professional cooking job when I was like 17. And then after that, I applied to the CIA, got in, went for like three or four months, wasn't a big fan of upstate New York, and then came back and started working in a bunch of different restaurants in Houston. So, Yeah, I mean, I know you've worked at, you worked at Brennan's, I think when I, I think I met you right after Roost opened, but you had worked at Haven before that. I was at Brennan's for a couple months. Um, I, the funny thing is I did that thing of thinking that if you work at like 20 different restaurants, you're going to gain that much knowledge, and that wasn't the case at all. So I was on the opening staff of Soma Sushi with Robert Gatsby. Um, I worked at Brennan's for a while. I worked at Reef for just a couple months with Brian. Um, I was at the Houston City Club. I opened Haven with Randy Evans. That was probably my longest job. That was just short of two and a half years. Um, and then I took about a year off to consult, and that, right after that was when I opened Roost, when I was just turning 25. I mean, were you were you ready at 25 to own own and operate your own restaurant? <laughs> no, no. The funny thing was I was trying to move out of my parents' house at the time, so I was looking at apartments on Craigslist, and uh, just by luck I saw that that building um, had an apartment, and we couldn't really tell from the, the Craigslist post what it was. So I went to see it with my mom, and uh, it was a small cafe, Latina cafe at the time. The, the whole corner used to be Cardette's uh, Cuban grocery store back in the day. And uh, the woman that was running it, I think she just kind of got it handed to her over time. Uh, her brother, I think, at one point owned it. But she was kind of like at the end of a rope and didn't want it. So it was kind of like a, you know, now or never deal. So I said, let's do it. Um, I remember talking to my mom and my dad and just being like, hey, even if we can make this much, you know, doing the projections, uh, you know, we could keep the doors open and just have fun with it and then hopefully make it progress. But opened in december 11th of 2011 yeah and uh it was slow for like two or three weeks and then like yeah actually about two weeks and then all the articles started coming out from like food writers and the word got out and then it was like just balls of the wall for like two years i think one of the things about bruce that's always interested me is that sometimes restaurants say like we're going to be seasonal we're going to change the menu and they lose that focus over time. You've never done that. I mean, every month there's like a substantial menu update at Bruce. Yeah, so every five to six weeks we completely change the menu. Um, our menu teeters between like 20 to 22 items. Um, the ones that stay on the menu are going to be the fried cauliflower, the donuts for dessert, and then the idea of bread service. Um, and even then the bread service, like we'll change the bread around, we change all the butters and spreads around. Um, and I think the reason we've really done well is, you know, we are reasonably priced. We're kind of your casual neighborhood joint. We try to really put an emphasis on service. A lot of the servers have been there for years. Um, my lead cook, Sergio, has been with me since day one. And I think the big advantage, too, is uh, you get like a complo composed entree when you come in. Uh, you're not having to buy something for whatever, $25 of protein, and then spend another 7 or $8 for each side and you know, we just kind of, it, it's still chef driven, so to say. So it's kind of whatever's in my head, you get your whole entree and you're good to go. So, so how do you, how do you develop the ideas? Cause it, or, or, I mean, now that you have six years worth of menus, do you look back at like, 
you know, we did a dish this way. I want to modify it. You know, are you kind of riffing on stuff you've already done or are you still innovating? Uh, still innovating. I mean, I think we just finished our 53rd menu change. Um, and that was Thursday of last week. So it, it's always something developing. I mean, I try to keep <clears throat> in tune with what's going on in the food scene. Um, I'm not really a big fan of like fads, so to say. So, uh, you know, even if there is something that's kind of popular at the moment, I might try it out or just put my, my own twist on it. But it, it's always easy when it's not going to stay on the menu. So you're not married to anything, which is good. Um, and our customers have kind of become accustomed to being kind of like our guinea pigs, you know. Um, we do menu changes kind of like on a Thursday is what it always ends up being. So, like, that Thursday night we'll really play with things, tweak it, get customer feedback for that whole night, even, like, towards the beginning of Friday service. And then by, like, Friday, you know, peak time, we're, we're done and rolling with what we've got. So, You ever get regulars come in and be like, oh, man, I really want that. Oh, that all, dish from like two years ago all the time all the time but we get like emails and i've uh slowly taken over my own pr the past month and uh all the emails are starting to get forward to me and i'm like oh my god <laughs> so it's a lot of like uh what happened with this and we missed this and why did you change this but the thing is you know they'll say that until they come in and you send something out or you recommend something and then they completely change your mind like this is my new favorite you know and i think that's that's the fun part is trust your chef you know what i mean um you might go to your doctor and maybe get like a second opinion but you're more or less going to listen to what they say you know what i mean so it's kind of the same thing when it comes to a chef i guess you know we we really put our heart into what goes on so it's not really what we put on that menu is what we've thought about for a while so just give us a little bit of faith and try it out i mean and how would you say your cooking has evolved in six years i mean are there are there influences that you're using now that you didn't have back then or or ingredients you feel more comfortable with yeah um i would say not only has the cooking gotten a little bit more comfortable but i think the staff and their you know we have a really solid staff um they really take to heart what goes on what we put on the plate um plating it better executing it better but at the same time i think it it boils down a lot to uh we've really listened to the customers you know i might have i i personally as a person have changed a lot over the six years, um, I think when I first opened and we were getting all this acclaim and, you know, we were in everything, I was kind of, you know, big headed and I didn't care about what other people thought. And I was like, whatever I put on the plate is the way it goes. I don't care what the customers say. <clears throat> and then you slowly discover that like, you know, the customer is absolutely right. We, we will bend and tweak things here and there. And we're never too like, you know, we're never too important to say we're not going to do it. So if I get somebody that comes in and they have something that they want or if we have it in-house, we'll make it work. But at the same time, it's the customer service aspect of it is really developed. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's the reason we get a lot of regulars too is because we're really good about, you know, remembering your name, giving you a hug when you come in. It's like a little family, so to say. And then do you have plans to celebrate six years? I mean, are you running special menus or we'll be doing specials off the menu that we have now we'll probably i mean we always have specials weekly so we'll be obviously running some of our whatever specials at the moment but we'll also be doing like uh starting the 11th for the rest of the month we're going to pick like two charities to give a good uh chunk of sales to or or profits um we're also going to have like some giveaways i'm going to do like a dinner for six at somebody's house um just by coming in and dining we have these comment cards that you fill out that are pretty fun. They're kind of Mad Libs. 
<clears throat> and you can just fill it out, put your email on there, and then at the end of the month we'll pick somebody for that. And we'll also do another one that's going to be an in-house, like six people kind of dinner for you and your friends uh, with wine and, you know, probably three or four courses depending on what's going on. So I want to I want to shift slightly away from the restaurant because the other thing I think people may know you for is that you uh, you're a little fan of the reality TV. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, I was on Beat Bobby Flay, and I beat Bobby Flay. Um, I also did Guys Grocery Games uh, several years back, and then just in general, you know, any kind of. I mean, you you beat Bobby Flay making cabbage rolls, which is kind of <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it was fun because, uh, you know, we we went through several things that I wanted to make, and they were just kind of the producers, you know, understandably were picky about what gets put out because. Sometimes it's just not approachable, certain things that we might pick. And then at the same time, it's something that you want the home cook to, you know, be able to make at home or have their own riff on. So <clears throat> I, I kept teetering with the idea of like dolmadas or dolme. Um, I'm Persian. Our culture, we do like stuffed peppers, grape leaves, uh, almost anything. So I pitched that to them and they were kind of like, okay, okay, let's, you know, what can we get with that? And I said, you know what, why not like kind of Polish stuffed cabbage, if you will, or, you know, everybody kind of has their take on that. So they picked that up and they ran with it and they loved it. So it was fun. It was a trip to New York. Um, literally what you saw on TV is what you get. Uh, Bobby was pretty, pretty damn professional. I mean, he, that dude throws down. I, I was laughing because I just thought he comes in there and he'll just, you know, already know what's going on or know the secret ingredients. But no, it's nothing like that. He He presented us with our secret ingredient first round competed and then second round um after i'd won uh i told him cabbage rolls and he was like oh man that's a good one you know so i don't, <laughs> I don't think he knew but it was pretty cool um full day of shooting that guy that guy really works five days uh i think their shooting season is like five weeks and he shoots like two episodes a day from like 6 30 a.m till 6 30 p.m then he like goes home, showers, and he works the line at one of his restaurants. I think he was at Gato a lot when I was there, so he works Gato till like midnight. Good lord! Yeah. Did you? So you enjoyed the experience? Have you have you auditioned for other reality shows recently? Yeah, I have. Um, you know, I, I always laugh because as much as I love the Food Network and the Food Networks, um, they're kind of becoming like MTV. Like you don't see cooking on them anymore, and that's the tough part. Is Growing up, I was, like, a big fan of, like, Emeril and actually Bobby Flay and, you know, these the Yan Ken Cook and all the cool chefs who are actually cooking. And now it's, like, every episode is, like, the best cupcake challenge. And I'm, like, really? You know? Right. I, not only is that not what we are about, but at the same time, it's, like, push yourselves, you know? Like, you're a cooking channel. But I, I've gotten really picky about what I apply to or what I'll answer emails from or, you know, you, you want to evolve as a chef. So... There's certain things I won't do. Um, I always laugh about Chopped because I'm like, I don't know. But if they called, I'd probably entertain it if it was like a su substantially, you know, if it was a cool like chef's program. Um, and then back in the day, I did <clears throat> Top Chef tryouts, and that was fun until I found out that their contracts are pretty intense. Like they take a good chunk from you. For being oh, oh, yeah. So if you, they, they want a financial. Yeah. Piece. They want to guarantee you for like three years of, you know, over 10% of your earnings. And I was like, eh, I'm going to pass. <laughs> uh, is there, is there one show that you'd really like to do? Is there kind of a dream opportunity? Like, would you do Iron Chef? Is that kind oh, of. Oh, Iron Chef would be awesome. Um, you know, not to like toot my horn. I don't know if I'm even on that level to be on that show. That's a pretty, pretty cool show. I would definitely say yes to that. 
Um, I used to really like that show Knife Fight that was on Esquire channel. Yep. I don't know if it's around anymore. I saw Chris did it a while back, but I always thought that'd be fun to be on. And I had like some playful banter on Twitter with uh, Elon from the show, but it just never happened. So, <clears throat> and then you had a you had a second restaurant for a little while um, up yeah. in the uh, at a uh, Lilo Lazy Lilo Timber Grove. Yeah, yeah. So Lilo and, Lilo and Ella, um, kind of towards like Oak Forest and whatnot, uh, Timber Grove that area. Uh, it was 23rd and Ella, and I had it in about 2013 to close to the end of 2015. And it was great. I mean, I, we started off as this, you know, this promising kind of like this vision that I had. And, you know, I take full blame for that because I just tried to run myself thin, and I didn't properly staff the place. I didn't, I didn't have, like, a chef when I wasn't there. I didn't spend the time to really train a GM right. Um Chris Fleischman opened it with me, a great guy who I was friends with for years. But <clears throat> I think he had plans to leave anyway, so he, he went over to PAX. And then I just kind of was like, oh, crap, you know, I'm going to do this on my own. But that was that was what I learned. So, you know, growing again as like a 27-year-old, you know, just turned 27 when I opened that, I uh, really learned my lesson on any future endeavor to like really staff properly, you know, bring in a chef, bring in a GM, bring in – anybody you can, uh, you know, assistant uh, manager to kind of watch things when you're not there. And, uh, you know, over time it just kind of lost its vision. I had an offer that I couldn't refuse and I took it. Yeah. I, I like the food at Lilo. You were kind of doing some kind of fun Asian stuff. There was a, a really killer fried rice dish. There was a, a good steak preparation. I mean, I'm trying, right. Like I'm trying to think about things I ate. Yeah. It was like three years ago. It was fun riffs on Asian food. Um, so to say, but I'm a strong believer in that you ha you have to like read your demographic and uh, you know me being kind of stubborn I didn't really look into the area uh, too much and you know the what I mean behind that is that you know it's a growing area home prices are, are pretty high these are all people that are you know somewhat my age 30 31 32 you know recent recently married they have kids or whatnot and they're not going to go out as often as people in Montrose and, and all that do so the, the exposable, expendable income is not as, as much, and you really got to focus more on, you know, kids' menus and doing something that's approachable hours and food that they can even, you know, like share and stuff like that. And I think our prices were probably a little bit high starting off, but, you know, after that first impression, it's hard to kind of win your clientele back. So, Yeah, it's an interesting neighborhood. This year it's seen a lot of growth. You know, King's Beer House is just absolutely killing it. McIntyre's, mm -hmm. uh, the sports bar, has done really well in that neighborhood. So it it is this kind of evolving. You know, I like if you opened Lilo and Ella six months ago instead of three years ago. I I just I wonder if it might not have found a more receptive audience. Timing is that's like one of those funny things, right? Like you can we were talking about Pesca. It's like you can have a great location, sure, and a talented chef and an interesting concept and like. If the timing's wrong, if the neighborhood's wrong, like it's not going to work. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, at the same time, that being said, it's like I always laugh because certain areas will beg for certain concepts or, or restaurants or bars and whatnot. But if you don't support them, or if you go once for every like you know special occasion or once a month, you know you can't blame them for not being able to to you know pay their bills and survive and then moving on. I mean. Pesca, I, I ate there once when Chris was there recently. I thought it was good. Um, 
you know, it's just you don't know people's financials, you know. So I, I can't sit there and say what the problem was. Um, but at the same time, it's like Lilo and Ella now there, it would be great. But at the same time, I like, you know, I always joke with like Philip Pham and the Hueys guys and, you know, they're good friends. And I'm like, dude, I can't compete when you're out here doing like two bonmies for six bucks, you know. And uh, it is it is what it is. You know, there's no hard feelings when it comes to anything. I, I More than anything, I'm more proud of myself for saying, okay, I'm going to try it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You move on. I mean, that's risk-taking in any business is, needs to be done. You know, there's no guarantee in anything that we do. But at the end of the day, it's good to know, you know, you learn from all these experiences. It's, it's good to know that you actually gave it a run and you tried your hardest. And it's, it's all just a calculated risk. That's what I tell everybody. You, I get so many calls about, like, what are you doing next, man? Or would you go in on this deal with us? Or what do you advise? And I'm like, whatever you do, just make it a calculated risk, you know? I, I really pride myself on the real estate thing that I've done on the side more just because, uh, you know, there's an old saying that one of my friends told me it's, uh, it's easy to make money. It's hard to keep money. Yeah. You're like, uh, your Facebook feed is like a, a generous source of <laughs> Montrose apartments. Who needs an rates. apartment? Yeah, I know. But what, um, but no dogs, never any dogs. Uh, we're I've, both Tyler I've, and I are both dog owners. Listen, I'm, I'm stuck in uh between a rock and a hard place right now in this room. But um, I think cats are worse than dogs, honestly, in terms of just no, sheer I, destruction of your wood floors. And here's here's else. my thing with the pet situation is I feel even myself like I want a dog. But if I don't have the the space for it, then I'm not going to really force that dog to be in a tight space. So these apartments don't really have like backyards. You know, they're kind of like multi units. They're monstrous. kind of kind of spots. And the thing with the dog is if you don't let it get out and spread its legs, then it's going to tear some stuff up. So I've had tenants that have dogs and like it costs me an arm and a leg, man, once they leave. You know what I mean? They, they scratch up the floors. It smells like crap in there sometimes. For every one good dog owner, there's four that just kind of like whatever, you know? And that's the unfortunate part. But at the same time, it's like if I had a, a unit or like a house that was for lease and it had a backyard, I'd be like, bring 20 of them. I don't care. You know, I've done, I've done <laughs> that, multiple. That will run afoul of the uh, city of Houston. Yeah. Laws. I've done a ton of like, you know, Jody Eisenhart, love you. You know, I've done tons of like dog events and charitable events for pets and I love them. But when I get a house, I'll probably get a puppy. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> so, so the, the, you said people are always asking you like, what's next or what's the next deal? So, you're sitting here in front of me. What's next? What's 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 the project that you would uh, like to do? There's stuff that I've slowly, you know, my my radar is out there. I, I'm slowly looking at properties, and um, you know, with me, I move a lot slower because of I, I, it's always tough for me to sign a lease. I've always been an owner owner. You know, like I own the property. It's all me. I finance it myself. I don't really bring in like investors and whatnot. So. Um, you know, I move a lot slower. Um, but at this point, it's like if I want to keep up to speed with everybody else, I'm eventually going to have to bite the bullet and just say, you know what, let's just try out a, a lease concept or somewhere in a new up-and-coming area that, you know, we can roll the dice on. And I've really been looking certain areas. You know, Montrose is always a great area to look in. East downtown, I've kind of been, you know, you might see me walking the streets there, here and there, looking at spots. Um, but there's, there's some stuff you might hear about within the first like quarter or mid year of next year. So don't quote me on that time frame. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> no, tomorrow, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to start. There's going to be an article out. Yeah. Jeff, I'm going to start, this. I'm going to start texting you every week to find out <laughs> when you send a lease somewhere. 
We're good about talking crap on Snapchat with each other, so that's good. Yeah, and that way they disappear, and no one, no one, no one sees <laughs> no it. No evidence. And we, like, and we would did... never screenshot each other. It's like mutually assured destruction. Yeah, that's my fear. I'm like, why did Eric just screenshot that last message? <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> um, but I, I know that you do like to dine out, and I, I know that you do like to check out new places when they open. Um, are there any restaurants you've been to recently that you just you think are particularly strong? Yeah, there's a lot of good spots. I mean, I'm a fat guy. I mean, Houston born and bred, there's nothing really else to do besides eat and drink. So we go out quite a bit. Last night, I actually went to uh, Doris Metropolitan, had a great steak. Um, good experience. It was interesting. Um, nice build out. Um, there's a couple things they're going to have to tweak for the Houston market that I noticed immediately. So the, so the thing that struck me about it when I had dinner there uh-huh. uh, last weekend is that it is like, it is very chill. Like the atmosphere is just super low key, and I think of steakhouses as as a little more lively, and I, I, I actually kind of enjoyed that about it. I feel like, you know, I could have dinner there with my mother, and we wouldn't have to shout at each other. I could take a date there. Yeah, so that there, aspect I liked. There was probably six or seven other tables when we were there, but you know, deep down I was laughing because uh, it was me, and my three other buddies, really close friends, and we were going to a comedy show afterwards, but um. I was just laughing because I was thinking of Kirby Enthusiasm. I don't know if y'all watched that, but this previous Sunday, the, the episode was uh, Larry tries to go to this restaurant and he has a reservation and it's a four people, but only him and two of his friends are there and one of their friends is late and she won't seat them because the fourth party isn't there. And she's like, the chef just says that it it, it makes for ideal dining uh, experience when everybody eats at once. And he's like, the ideal dining experience is eating when you're hungry. And uh, <laughs> we got there yesterday and the whole place was empty and she wouldn't seat us because I was like five minutes late. So my buddies were texting me like, where the hell are you? They won't seat us. And I get there and they finally seat us. And, uh, you know, I thought the food, like I said, was great. It was a small menu. I don't know if that's just for opening. They're, they're going to wean into it. but Yeah, I talked to the chef. He said, you know, they, they dry age all the beef. They have this beautiful uh-huh. dry aging room with a chandelier in it. He said that they have other cuts that will be ready, right? They're not they're not quite ready to serve yet, so they'll expand the menu a little bit. But but looking at what they offer in New Orleans, it's pretty focused. I mean, a, yeah, a, there was like six steaks I think on the menu. Two of them unfortunately were out of, but I had the uh, I had the bone and ribeye. The thing was really damn good. Dude, they do that uh, that classified cut is the ribeye cap. Yeah, <laughs> that was the best steak I ate there Saturday night. Yeah, we they had were a, out last night. Oh. Okay, well, they, they gotta they gotta stock up on classified cuts because I feel like it. you get the cool shit. We don't get that stuff. If I went in there and I was like, I'm gonna wear a beard one day, and just be like I'm Eric Sandler and see what happens, you know? Kevin, like, you already have a beard. Well, you know what I mean. Like, I, I want the the mature colored. Uh, I need some more gray hair. Yeah, I need something going on. <laughs> I want some like kind of nice Jew curls in there. Yeah, and then I'm just gonna walk in there and just see what happens. And did you get the the butcher's board? No, we got the, uh, they sent out some beef tartare for us. And the funny thing is, man, I don't know anybody at Doris Metropolitan. I don't know any of the management. I, but the funny thing is when you walk into any restaurant now, it's the same damn staff everywhere. Yeah, so it's I like, knew a bartender and a sommelier. So dude. so whatever whatever anonymity I, I thought from a New Orleans restaurant, like they won't. They won't know or care who I am. Like, no, no, they. I yeah, got, it was like I got three, spotted at the valet stand. I think it was three uh, servers that were just like last week at other spots that I'd seen. And I'm like, ho ho, we jump around a lot. I was like, oh, you sons of bitches. Um, <laughs> but um, but we had a good, I had a good meal there, and I thought the prices were really reasonable. I mean, that bone and ribeye that you ate is like fifty five bucks. Yeah, which good luck doing that at 
you know, Pappas or V&A or wherever. I check out a lot of restaurants, man. I mean, there's probably most you'll name I've been to. Um, but I'm also like a creature of habit. I'll go to places for consistency. Just I know what I'm going to get, you know. Like, you'll – dude – I always laugh because like a Houston's is always on my chart or like chefs I'll, love Houston. Yeah. I'll go in the mornings and I'll just knock out work at like common bond. Their, their food has gotten really great to me. Um, I'm an environment kind of guy. I'll, I like to see people, you know, I'm not going to go somewhere that's like quiet and mellow. That's just not my scene. Like that's that ADD side of me from when I was younger still. It's like, I need like moving and shaking going on around me. That's why I'm more of like a East coast type, you know? Um, I just can't do the mellow much. So there's there's some spots that like I like the more packed, crowded, yeah, annoying. You know, um, dude, there's I go to hole in the walls a lot too. I go to like uh, Gusto Gourmet or you know Barbecue Pit Room. Like I kind of stay within my realm now. So. Yeah. Well, all right, <laughs> Tyler, do you have uh, a question for Kevin before we? I forgot Tyler was here. Tyler was sleeping. Draw to the end of the interview. <laughs> Tyler was, Tyler was so on much. his phone the whole time. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, you know, one of the things I uh, noticed in your uh, cooking is that you've got a ton of local ingredients on your menu, and you don't really – I mean, you give a shout-out at the top of your menu, but it's uh, you're not beating people over the head about it. But tell me a little bit about, like, working with local purveyors and what your experience is like. Yeah, I mean, I've known you for years, man, and, uh, you know, I know you really bust your butt to, to keep the farmer's market and all that stuff as streamlined as it can be, but, you know, as much as I love the local farmers and all that stuff, it's I'm not as fully local as I was at Haven. Um, you know, at Haven, Randy and I were like 150-mile radius, everything, and there's things that I want to use that I never got to use back then, and it was like scallops and mussels yeah. and, you know, Texas lamb back then was crap. Now it's getting a lot better. Um, wines were crap back then. So they still are. <coughs> they still are. Uh, <laughs> we always joke. You can email Tyler at Urban Harvest for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, <laughs> there's just not really these these really lush seasons that we see in Houston, unfortunately, or surrounding areas. I mean, yeah, we we don't experience four seasons on the Gulf Coast, and that definitely yeah. changes. But it's for is interesting. I mean, it's maybe for the better in the sure. sense that we can grow a lot more stuff in longer periods of time than you can in other places. Yeah, and that being said, I'm sure you notice this also, is back then, like, when I was, like, 19, 20 years old and really getting in at Brennan's and, like, working with Randy and seeing them buy all the stuff – Farmers would break their back to, like, come bring you product and do things for you out of the way, give you reasonable prices. Like, they were just dying to get on any kind of menu and have a consistent order. Now it's, like, the total opposite. It's, like, everybody wants organic. You need me. I'm jacking up these prices and good luck. You know, it's, like, I've, I I was butting heads for a while, to tell the truth. I mean, I'm not going to list any kind of names because I still have really good relations with a lot of them. And I totally understand where they're coming from because supply and demand, you know, business is business. They have to grow in a sense too. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, you know, it, it's it's tough too for them because you got all these actual large big boy vendors who have bought like plots of land or they've really signed these exclusivity contracts with different farmers and they're getting a lot of their produce and, you know, bringing it through them. Yeah, and it's cool too now that we have in Houston, we've got Farm to Table Texas that does a good job mm-hmm. of aggregating and uh, – Jason's a great, great guy, and uh, I think it's it's nice to see those types of services being provided. Where, I mean, the reality for sourcing locally is it's oftentimes more of a headache than it is just to have the you know chef's sure. produce truck show up and unload. But 
Um, I thought that's cool. I mean, every time I've always popped in your place, you know, there's always something on the menu that's, uh, I mean, a, a large part of it. A lot of your yeah, proteins. we probably we probably keep like a forty to roughly fifty percent of each menu item is like local product. You know, it's most of the time. Which I'll try to jam as much on there as I can. Sometimes it's just inconsistencies, and I just can't like really wing it like that. But sure. um, I I think it's good to know that they're there. You know, and it's like uh, it's one of those things where like convenience has become a big thing too, but. If I know that I have like a special I want to work with, or I just got this cool cut of meat, I can go to the farmer's market on Saturday or Tuesday and be like, let me get something to, to go with this. You know, I'm not going to say that I like spend all my time there and I'm like shaking hands and kissing babies, but you know, the people will see me here and there. I'll just load up, throw stuff in my truck and I take off or I send a staff member or. Yeah, you've been coming for years like that. Yeah, but you know, it, it's good because even these farmers have bent to the point of like, I'm going to carry new product because. I know what's in the market or like what's the trend or what's going on and you know Japanese sweet potatoes or you know whatever kind of different cuts of shard or colors of shard and you know it's fun so absolutely <laughs> but at the end of the day like I said earlier I don't know how you do it <laughs> Tyler, Tyler doesn't have a lot of gray hairs right now which I don't know if he dies for what but <laughs> he has a he I, has I, a he has a a very uh, cool wife and a and a Friendly dog that keeps him uh, motivated. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good way. We'll to get to that point slowly. All right. <laughs> I'll get the dog first. All right, Kevin, we've uh, we've reached the point in the interview that I like to call the, the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that All right. comes to mind. Let's go. All right. What's the first restaurant you ever worked at? Uh, Double Tree Post Oak. What's the first concert you ever attended? Uh, the Jay-Z concert at the Lowrider show in Houston. <laughs> what is your... Uh, <laughs> Shut up, Tyler. Who is your favorite Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It's got to be something that comes from a drive-thru. Oh, damn, man. Uh, there's a lot of those. Um, oh, God. Like the shitty tacos at Jack in the Box for a dollar. Um, and then anchovy like tacos. The Whataburger chicken fajita taco or whatever is ridiculous. And then uh, where is your favorite place to get a taco? Favorite place to get a taco, I'm going to say uh, Laredo Taqueria on uh, Washington. Strong answer. They're, uh, answer. they're cactus, man. They're Nopalos tacos, my jam. All right, tell us how people can follow you. What's the restaurant website? What's your Instagram? All that good stuff. Very, very easy. They're all streamlined. I love roost, uh, dot com is our website. Uh, follow us on Instagram, I love roost, Twitter, I love roost. And uh, if you want to give me a shout, I'm on Instagram at kroost021. Cool. And then, Tyler, you, you don't use Instagram as, as often as I probably think you should, but give us all the urban harvest details. Um, the Urban Harvest Instagram is uh, at Urban Harvest Houston. Trying to get in a habit of posting on that every market that we have. Um, Facebook is uh, at Urban Harvest Houston as well. And then Twitter is just at Urban Harvest. We locked that one down before somebody stole it from us. And the website is uh, <laughs> www.urbanharvest.org. Perfect. Do they hold you hostage for it or what? Oh, no. But, you know, we, we, we in the, 
the early days, you know, were slow to the game, so we had to sometimes not get at Urban Harvest. There's a couple Trust other me, uh, social media Urban Harvests out there. So, like I said, I'm doing we're the original. Show. It's not easy. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at E Sandler on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play. We always appreciate it when you write a review and leave a comment. But like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.